Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them, for they could not bear the command. Even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. The title of today's sermon is A Tale of Two Mountains from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24. The author of the epistle to the Hebrews is unknown to us, but his writing is quite similar to the Pauline letters. That's why some have a theory that it's probably Paul, but then some said, well, Paul signs his name at the start. And uh, others have said this is probably like a manuscript, not really a letter. And others said, perhaps, and many scholars lean towards this, that it's a companion of Paul, who, of course, have very similar or the same doctrines, and uh, somewhat has a similar style, but not completely the same. This was written somewhere in the mid-AD 60s, definitely before the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. And it was the season, the decade, where many rabbis were recruiting back the Jewish people, perhaps to unify their culture because of the stand they would make against Rome, in which we know that was a time when the temple was destroyed. And if you read the the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, well, especially in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will see there that Jesus prophesied the destruction of the temple, and um, not one stone was turned. I mean, not turned. It was a devastation. And until today, the proud Jewish people have nowhere to practice their rituals. It was this season that they've been, some of the Jews were returning to Judaism because it was more comfortable than being a believer of Christ. As a believer of Christ, then there were persecution. But if you go back to the Jewish uh, religion of Judaism, which was somehow transitioned through the decades 
from what Moses had to a point where there were so much focus on the works of man. In fact, to a point that the commentaries of the Torah is definitely thicker or more writing has been made on the commentary and many are relying just on the commentary instead of analyzing and studying the Torah itself. So the writer here is saying, hey, Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets. He is God. God calls him God. Hey, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is better than Moses, better than Aaron. And he warned them, you have to believe, remember that God was provoked when Israel did not believe him. And thus they were in the desert for 40 years as wanderers. The author is saying, hey, don't you understand? Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest. His priestly right came from God himself. He is in the order of Melchizedek, not Aaron. Hey, don't you understand? Aside from him being the high priest forever, who will, who will intercede for us, he is, was and is the perfect sacrifice. Then the author mentioned about faith. It's really about faith. Even the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament lived by faith and pleased God through faith. So he's saying, implying that it is not works, it's not being religious, it is faith. Then he mentioned about we must focus our eyes on Christ. And remember that if you are children of the Father, you must receive his discipline because the Father disciplines those he loves. Therefore, our sensitivity to the scriptures and how we interpret the events around us must be aligned with what the Spirit is speaking to us and what the Word is speaking to us. Not all hardship is from the devil, by the way, which many churches or Christians teach that every hardship comes from the devil. That is not true. Quite a lot of them came from God, hoping, well, I'm hoping that we understand the discipline of God upon us. And discipline is two things. Chastisement, where pain and sin is obviously shown us. You think you can sin and enjoy for a while without consequence? There is always a consequence, if not now, in the future. There is something that you always lose if you do that. But discipline is also training. Training. And I hope we understand that as we learn the scriptures, as we learn together as a community, especially in the growth groups, in our personal study, and as God leads us, gives us wisdom, we are being trained for godliness. We are being trained for holiness. But not all of us like training. We like just to sleep enjoy our lives 
and not do anything. Some of us, we go to our default setting. Some of us, our default setting is work, 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 work. Some of us is no work, no work, no work. Because it's lazy, lazy, lazy. Some of us, our default setting is entertainment, entertainment, entertainment. Some default setting is nothing. You just stare at the many stars and appreciate how beautiful the world is. But that's all you do. We are being trained for what purpose? Again, the word holy, which is within the context of chapter 12, is to be set aside for the purpose of God. That is holiness. It is to be different. We do not belong to this earth. We do not belong to ourselves. As Christ gave himself for us, we must surrender all to Christ through his grace. Now, the author goes back about comparing or actually contrasting Mount Sinai, the experience of the Old Covenant, and he's doing a figurative explanation of Mount Zion. Of course, Mount Zion is where Jerusalem is, and that's where they are situated. But he was speaking of a heavenly Jerusalem. So he's speaking of a figurative Mount Zion, not a literal Mount Zion. First mountain is Sinai. If you want to know more about what happened in Sinai, I advise you to read Exodus 19, chapter 19 to chapter 24. And, uh, but the author only gave a few verses to discuss Sinai, but it's actually several chapters. And uh, we took time in preaching that when we went, were in our Exodus series. If you're interested in that, just go to gcfnaga.com, look at the sermon section, and look for Exodus. The author reminded the letters readers of the terrifying experience of the Israelites in Mount Sinai. Israel would view or witness that terrifying event as one of the most significant in their history. Why? It was a time when God made a covenant with Israel through Moses. Let's read verses 18 to 21. It says here, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. Again, it was a narration of the recorded event in Exodus. 
It was the giving of the old covenant. It was a scary, frightening event. What the author did not mention here were the thunder and lightning that were so loud during that time. And it kept getting louder and louder. It was actually the voice of God speaking, but they could not hear the voice. They could only hear the thunder. They could not see the presence, but they could see the lightning. And such is the situation of sinful man before the most holy and sovereign God. If you see God without receiving the forgiveness of Christ, and remember that Christ said that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be preached. Through repentance and faith, we receive forgiveness from Christ. Without that, on judgment day, or at the moment that God reveals himself, we will not see the mercy or grace because it is found in Christ alone. We will see God as this just sovereign because he is holy and we are not. It would be terrifying. And that is the difference in Christ. Praise be the Lord that even the author said in chapter 4, we can boldly come into the throne of grace because they understand they can't just do that not even their holy of holies nobody can just enter in now let's go to Mount Zion now the author contrasted the believers experience in Christ he referenced Mount Zion the city of God and the heavenly Jerusalem where many angels gather joyfully the author was speaking of their spiritual standing and future hope. Two things, spiritual standing now and the future hope. Let's read verse 22. He's saying to the Jewish believers, but you have come not to Sinai, but to Mount Zion and uh, to the city of, of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, this is the spiritual and the literal. Spiritual in the sense we have entered, they have entered it in a spiritual sense in terms of being in Christ. They are already part and citizens of the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And when we say in Christ, we're not talking about religion. We're talking about when a person repents of his sins and has faith in the finished work of Christ and has decided, or rather, the Holy Spirit has given him a heart to follow and obey the Holy Scriptures. Now, remember in chapter 11 that the patriarchs, hoped for the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, which they did not see. That's why they dwelt in tents. They dwelt in tents. They, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they dwelt in tents. 
not even establishing their home there because they know they were just pilgrims because they were hoping for what? The city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The author is saying here that what Abraham was not able to enter, you were able to enter. What they hoped for all their lives, those hundreds of years, in several generations, and they never set foot in the spiritual sense of the word. They never experienced within their soul what you have been given by Christ. He's saying, I hope you get it, you hard-headed, some of you. I'm exaggerating. I'm just looking at the tone, part of the tone of the letter. He would be, and then suddenly he would say, but you are blessed. Don't you know that? So looking at the author, wow. I think me and him share a similar personality. Uh, we are so blessed as well in our generation what the patriarchs could not and did not experience. They were not, it was not time. It was not time. But we live in a moment where Christ has died and Christ has resurrected and Christ has made a way. They never found the city of God. Well, I would believe now <laughs> they are there, but in their lifetime, they did not. So again, let me say that the city is both a literal thing and a spiritual thing. Literal because it is a future hope, a future reality of believers, and spiritual because it is our spiritual reality now. How would you know? Remember what the author mentioned about the covenant promises in Christ. Three things he mentioned. One, he said, forgiveness in Christ. That is very key in the new covenant. We don't have to keep sacrificing animals every year for our sin. Christ has sacrificed himself once and for all time. Number two, God said, a personal knowledge of me among every one of them. Unlike before, there was this high priest or prophet or king, three men that God would speak to and guide while everybody else listened. No, but in the new covenant, every one of them knows me. And you know that because deep within you, you know that God, you know God. It has become a personal thing, not a religious thing. And it's not only during the time you are in need. If you are, you pray at only when you're in need, you don't have a relationship. And the third one is what? When God said, I will write my laws in their minds and hearts. When you have the law of God in your mind and your heart, it means you have a desire to obey. You want to. As if your very nature changed. As if once upon a time, 
you're not even convicted of sin. You don't even care if you sin. You don't even care if you listen to gossip or speak gossip. You don't care whether you make disciples or not. Once upon a time, you don't care if you commit sexual sins or not. It does not matter. Why? Because the laws of God were not in your mind and heart. If one is truly in Christ, that is a truth within you. And you even desire the fellowship of believers so you can grow some more. Not for the sake of having friends. And I have not against friendship. But some go to church or connect for the sake of having friends only. But now you desire to connect because you want to grow in Christ. The, the desires have changed. Ezekiel has wonderfully written, it wasn't only Jeremiah who prophesied this, also Ezekiel, when God said, I will give them a new heart. A new heart. So once upon a time, you wallow in sin, but with a new heart, you're no longer comfortable here. You are no longer at home with it. I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm saying the desires have changed. That is Mount Zion, friends. Spiritual standing. And even if you try to obey God with your all, your will, you will fail. The key is to humble ourselves before God, acknowledge our sin, we repent, and what? We have faith in his finished work and pray. You can even say, give me this new heart, Lord. I want this today. Next point, church, God, Christ, the blood. The author explained that the believers have come to the assembly of the chosen. So he said, you've come to the city of God, but you have also come to the assembly of the chosen. To God himself, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and who is the Lord Jesus, the only mediator between God and men. Take note, there's no other mediatrix or mediator, only God. Only Christ, I'm sorry. Only Christ Jesus. If somebody tries to explain to you, no, that's why we pray to all these saints. It's just like asking your friend to pray for you. Friends, those saints are dead. And nowhere do we find in scripture that we pray to Saint James who was killed by the sword. Or pray to Saint Paul because Rome beheaded him. Uh, these are saints, not one place in scripture, not one. Remember, Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven by which men shall be saved except the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the only Savior, 
no other name. If you add one more name, you do not understand the fear of God. How jealous God is. How he, he clearly proclaimed there is only one. Not many, just one. Verse 23 and 24. They have come to the city of God, yes. But not only the city of God. They have come to the general assembly. The church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Take note, in this time period in AD 60s, the church is a community of believers, but not an organized religion. How far men have gone to organize themselves and protect their hierarchy. No, no, this is a community with minimum hierarchy. There were elders, there were deacons, that's the community. There were shepherds and there were deacons, those who served. That was the community. That's why in our assembly here, we have no pope. The pastor should submit to the eldership. The eldership can rebuke the pastor. If he's teaching the wrong thing or his life is not in order, he must be reprimanded. I'm speaking for myself and all future senior pastors of this community. There is no Pope. There is no one head except Christ himself. And all of us are servants submitted to somebody else. Every person must be submitted to a, somebody who disciples and shepherds. The concept of submission is not slavery, but the concept is accountability. I'm willing for somebody to ask about my private life, and I'm willing to open it, that I, they may pray for me, and they may help me, and because I'm willing to be accountable for the private thoughts and, and emotions and activities of my life, it helps me grow. It helps me grow. We have come to the assembly. Saying you have come to the assembly. The church of the firstborn. Christ is the firstborn. Yes. Firstborn of what? The per Some believe it's the firstborn of his kind. What is? Who is Christ? Well. There was parts of scripture that says when we see him, we will be like him. He is both man and God. Now, the difference is we are not God. There's false teaching that says you are God without studying the context in the book of Psalms. Ye are gods. No, no. That's prosperity gospel language. No, but we have divinity within us. Through Christ, because the Spirit is within us. So there's this spiritual divine person within us, and there's this human person here. He is the firstborn. Another meaning is he is the first, the leader of it, the head. Enrolled in heaven, 
And you're, it's not only the general assembly, the church of the firstborn, but they're to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. These are still the people who were in due time. Remember that Christ is the perfecter of our faith. One day, by God's grace, we will be made perfect. But I don't think it's here on earth. Well, definitely not on earth. And verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and we also approach the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Remember that the sprinkled blood means we are unworthy, but we are acceptable. So it's not peals of thunder we hear, but an acceptance of God to us. We are welcome. It is important to note that the author included here, once again, the assembly of the firstborn in the heavenly Jerusalem. Thus, each believer should value the community. Do we value one another? We're not, we don't have to like one another completely. <laughs> but we have to value one another. We have to appreciate the beauty of that we are different. Isn't that wonderful? There are some differences, a lot of differences among us, but we are united in Christ and the Holy Scriptures. But the beauty of the difference is I learn from you. You learn from me. Not only Scripture, but even other parts of life. Recently, because I wanted to assimilate a brother in Christ to have friends in church, a small community, a very informal community was built in this church who somehow loved to eat. We gathered together, and I realized that almost all of them are physically fit, so I'm the odd person out. But then I realized that there is a truth. If you are with people a lot, somehow you rub one another. Let me do something. Well, let me just say something. There are people who are always together. There comes a time they even physically look the same. I don't know, same hair color, same whatever, same mannerisms. The thing is, if we are part of the community of believers, we somehow, by God's grace, grow to improve. Now, uh, I liked swimming before, but I would not say I'm a good swimmer. I just swim. And I'm not really good at particular styles, different styles of swimming. But because I have friends who love to do it, I ended up doing it, and it's good for me. It's also in scriptures, in Corinthians. Bad company corrupts good character, but I believe the opposite is also true. That's why, on one sense, be careful who your friends are because you will learn their ways. In other things, it's good that you have imperfect friends, yes, but all having that heart to obey the Lord. And even in the other things, you grow. But if you're living alone, if you're walking the Christian life like the Lone Ranger, you will struggle, and let me make a very simple prediction. 
you will fall. You will fall into sin until you will be so comfortable with it or you will be stagnant. You know the problem with stagnant water? It breeds bad insects and it smells. One day it just smells so bad. So if you were alone in your journey, you don't connect with others, you're not willing for somebody to pray with you or to learn what you go through, then it will be harder for you to grow. We should value the community. The church is both a present reality and a future hope. The Jewish believers had to value themselves. God the Father, the Son, await the believers in heaven, of course, through the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ gives the believers access to the dwelling place of God. Again, this is not the Sinai experience. We still respect God as a sovereign, holy God, yet we don't hear the thunder and the lightning. But even if we do hear, we are not afraid of it because all we hear is the mercy in Christ. Our application, number one, fear God. Let us not forget that our God is a consuming fire. God is holy and righteous, but sinful humans are not holy and righteous. Therefore, even if he bestowed his grace upon us, we must never forget to remain in awe that God is powerful, magnificent. He fills the heavens and the earth. He is all wise. We should never lose that wonder of who God is. You're not like one of the naive, foolish ones. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. I know that. No, fool. You know nothing. We know nothing. What we have has been given to us by God. Even the world we live in. Science prides itself of discovering everything. But no, not science, but scientists who claim they know everything. But if you approach it scientifically as well, there are many things that cannot be known. Who has observed the beginning of the universe? No one alive has observed that except God. Mathematically, Mathem right now, because of the discovery of DNA, the discovery of how intricate and complicated human life is, you know, for human life to have the perfect environment to live, it should be perfect. Imagine you have 1,000, 10,000 ingredients to choose from. You must have the right combination, the right combination to make human life or even each life, whether it's the eagle, whether it's the rabbit. Now, there are many books, scientists 
who are saying perhaps it's intelligent design. Because mathematically, it is impossible to say we just came from nothing. And man has evolved from nothing. Let us not lose that all when we read the scriptures. It is God speaking. Let us not reduce it to simple lessons like the lessons you hear in a classroom. It's more than that. This is the word of God. And we should treat it with respect and the fear of God. Why turn this into a religion? When it is about a relationship with the Holy God and the Savior Jesus Christ. Christ is the center, not religion, not man. Why go back to a life which disregards the sacrifice of Christ? Why live a life that neglects the promises of God in Christ? So I urge us, brothers and sisters, let us never lose the fear of God. Number two, understand our spiritual standing. If we are truly in Christ, if we truly have faith in Him, where repentance seems to be a part of our lives, a desire to spiritually grow and understand the Word seems to be intricate. It's a, it's a part of who we are. Now, I urge you, let us rejoice. Oh, by God's grace, we are so blessed. Because we have entered the heavenly Jerusalem. And what is that? Again, let me say, it is a spiritual state of being in Christ. But it is also a future place promised to us. Therefore, may we never turn back to the old ways of our soul. Old ways of the kind of thinking, old emotions. It has to be renewed right now. Renewed. The more we study God's word and we learn from one another, we are renewed. Brothers and sisters, we have entered the heavenly Jerusalem. This is our spiritual reality if our faith is genuine. Again, also a future hope. What should we do now? Continue to fix our eyes on Jesus, the beginner and perfecter of our faith. And lastly, we should value everything that God gives us. Let us value the fellowship of genuine believers, our church community. Let us value our God. Let us value Christ and what he has done. Let's value the blood of Jesus. All we possess in Christ is so much more than what the old covenant people have. The prophets longed for what we have. The ceremonies of the old was a shadow of the one to come, Christ himself. 
together as one body. As a united community, let us worship the Father. Let us also proclaim what we believe. What do we proclaim? That Christ is the perfect high priest and perfect sacrifice. What else do we believe? The Lord Jesus suffered and died to pay for our sins. And God raised him from the dead because the Lord Jesus had no personal sin. He took our sin, but he himself had no sin. He took our sin. It means he took the judgment of God as well. But his personal sin is zero. Therefore, death could not hold him. Because death can only hold the one who sins. That's why although we will die, yet we shall live. Because Jesus said, to those who believe, even if you die, yet you shall live. That's why believers, in a funeral of believers, we are sad that the brother left us. But we are not, we don't fall into despair because we know we will meet this brother or sister again. So if some of us go ahead, hopefully not because of COVID, we will see each other again. The Lord Jesus is our focus, and he calls everyone to repent for the forgiveness of their sin. I share to you a poem with the same title of our sermon, A Tale of Two Mountains. Amid the lightning and the smoke, it seemed the earth from slumber woke. The people heard peals of thunder that only seemed to grow louder. Surprised and shattered to the core, with trembling hearts they begged no more. The sound of his voice shocked their souls, prolonged their minds would not be whole. Mount Zion is not Mount Sinai. One must have a spiritual eye, our spiritual standing to see by his grace and by his decree. Heaven, the now and the not yet, in Christ there will be no regret. A taste of his heaven within, yet a place to be ushered in. Through his blood, no Sinai event, no anguished psyche, no torment, no thundering voice to evade. By his blood, the righteous are made. The blood brought us to the Godhead. God's son suffered in our stead to the church and brought us to belong. Thus together we sing his song. Father and son shall welcome us. As it's written, it shall be thus. We shall welcome each other there. Eternity with him shall share. Let us all rise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. The difference is clear. 
though we thank you for Mount Sinai because that was the beginning a shadow of the truth to come a shadow of the substance truth nonetheless of who you are O God yet the truth that would be completed in Christ we thank you for Mount Zion a spiritual state a heavenly Mount Zion a heavenly Jerusalem a spiritual state now because of Christ and a literal place we will go to one day again through Christ alone we thank you may we forever treasure and stand in awe of you God is our consuming fire yet in Christ there is forgiveness and it would remove your ire we thank you our Lord we bow our hearts and heads to you we are nothing we are no one but the guilty guilty left and right guilty of all sorts yet we praise you through Christ you have given us a new heart that the old has passed away and the new have has come for only you can save and only you can change only you can sanctify us yet we thank you that you have called us to the assembly for we are not alone in this journey we have each other and all of us have you you are Lord and King of us and we are brothers and sisters to one another teach us to be patient with each other teach us to be kind teach us to be concerned teach us to be humble teach us to respect each other in Christ and may we have that sense of responsibility towards each other with sense of responsibility that we must somehow somehow contribute to the growth of your people including ourselves so we pray be glorified today in our lives may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of the Father and the fellowship of his spirit be with you all God's people say amen good morning